Hello and welcome to the Y Debate. Uh, so this week we are going to be debating a book called The Chimp Paradox. If you look up in that corner, you'll be <laughs> able to see it. Um, and I think this is a very, very cleverly written book and, 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 and I'll explain why shortly. I think what he's done is absolute genius and from... I'm always thinking about selling. So from a sales perspective, I think what he's done here is he's, he's ridiculously intelligent. How did you find it? What did, what, did, what did you find good, bad, ugly about yeah. it? Yeah, uh, really interesting book. Super interesting. Made me look at things very differently, which is what you, I think that I wanted from this whole, you know, the whole why debate kind of idea. The concept of it is to look at these books. They change your mindset and stuff. I think a good book changes your mindset in general. Um, but yeah, Chimp Paradox, very interesting. Uh, first of all, the author, Steve, uh, Professor Steve Peters, um, he's a psychiatrist. He's been a psychiatrist for like a million years. He uh, has a bunch of degrees. The guy's got like four degrees and masters and all sorts. So very bright guy. And uh, you can tell that, I think, by the way that he, one, has written the book is pretty uh, interesting. And also the way that he's um, applied his theory to like many, many different areas of of the human experience which i think comes from a place of a very intelligent person uh he worked loads with athletes and i thought this was really interesting because in uh, atomic habits that book opens with talking about the british cycling team and how they improved themselves by using uh atomic changes in their uh you know really small scale changes in their processes um and uh, funnily enough, I looked at when they started implementing these things and uh, when this guy started working for them. And they're around the same time. Uh, Steve Peters comes onto their team as part of this change and is no doubt a huge part of the mindset style um, uh, teaching element of, of that sort of atomic habit change that they implemented with the British cycling team, which I think was pretty cool. It was good that we had a little link up there. Um, and yeah, he also was, um, he's also the mental, the, the sort of sports psychology coach of Liverpool football team, which is my favorite football team. So I thought that was quite interesting as well. And uh, Liverpool football team are also known to have a, pretty good mindset they're known not in the last season they've been terrible but we won't get into football um but they're known um to have a pretty unbreakable mindset they're known to like their all their famous wins are like they were down by a load of goals and then they came back and 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 won in the end they their um their manager calls them like mentality giants and mentality monsters and stuff like that and i think that's clearly because of this guy's foundation that he's put into the team so yeah really really interesting stuff uh, just about the author yeah, I, I found something very, very similar. So, so from reading it, you know, I always create stories about everything I do. And I always try and re re uh, re memorize stuff via story. Um, and when I read it, I, the same as what you said, I got the thing from the psychologist. So, so basically what it is, it's a book about the brain, right? But the first thing I noticed when I started to read this and I started to realize, okay, this is a book about the brain. So you've got like, I don't even know what the parts of the brain are called. Hey, Aldin, you all right, pal? Um, I, I don't even know what the, the the parts of the brain are called. But what I do know is the the names of them, the limbic and all the other crazy things, they don't stick yep. with humans, right? So <laughs> what he's done is he's taken a book, he's taken a subject that nobody really understands or, or pays any attention to because as soon as you mention the four or five different sections of the brain, everyone's like, fuck, turned off. I have no clue what it is. And what yeah. he's done is he's created a 
he's created a um, something that, that connects with readers, hence why it's became a best-selling book. Every other book that's about this type of thing would never ever get onto this, put, uh, onto a, a best-seller list for normal readers. It would have gone yeah. through people in medical school and it would have gone through people in psychology school. And it would... So what he's done is he's, he's, he's converted... Uh, what you would what you would normally be a, a book about a brain and gave it a glossing over that makes it sellable. Um, yeah, definitely. Did you get and that I, from it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think that that is really the strength, the main strength of the book I found was his visual analogy that he uses about the brain and um, how that's such a striking, it's, it causes such a striking picture that anyone can kind of grasp it and then they can apply it. Um, so we should probably explain what parts of the brain he's talking about because uh, it's pretty fundamental want, to the... Do you want me to explain it in a story format? Oh, <laughs> don't, so basically, don't, don't do it a good time. All right, as let's soon go. As, I start, as, as soon as I started reading it, right, I, I started picturing a war, right? So there's a war going on, right? And and the war is between the chimp brain and the, and, and, and the human brain, right? But the war is between... So the chimp brain is an emotional... Okay, that's your emotions. That's where you get mad and where you get happy and where you get excited. But it's mainly based around negative emotions because they don't mind you having positive emotions over on the logic side, but you shouldn't let them control you because you just don't make bad decisions. So you've got a war going on in your head all the time. And the war going on in your head is between your emotions and your logic, which is what I always say to you guys when we're trying to sell something, hit emotions, hit logic, then hit urgency and scarcity. But then there's also a hard drive in your head, right? So there's three sections. This is how I, this is how I figured it out. So, so you've got your emotions, you've got your logic, but then you've got hard drive, which saves memories. But what you can do in, into, into your hard drive of your brain is you can also build habits. And because the emotional side of your brain is much stronger okay, than, than the logic side of your brain. So, so, so it basically you act instantly with emotion and then you think about it logically later. You're in a situation where you're always going to, your emotions are always going to win unless you can teach your brain to turn positive habits into that, in, fix positive habits into your hard drive so it becomes second nature. Hence why um, if, if I go up to a guy who's never boxed and punch him in the face, he's not going to lift his arm up to try and block it because he's not going to, expect to get punched in the face, but you go try and hit a boxer, he's going to instantly block and bang you straight back in the mouth without even thinking about it. Um, yes. So there's a war going on in your head between your emotions and your logic. And what you need to do is try and build positive habits that get into your, your hard drive, become second nature. That That's my overall take of the whole book. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the winner of the war inside your head is the one who, um, who inputs the, data into the computer part of your brain and creates that pathway first and the first person to create that well the first uh part of the brain to create that is the one that wins the wins the battle um yeah all, all right alden yeah you've got the book on your kindle you haven't got to it yet uh, we'll try not to spoil it too bad uh definitely worth a read though I did have, I had it in my Kindle. I bought it ages and ages and ages and ages ago and I've never read it. And that's why we're doing the wide debate so that we can force ourselves to read things that we otherwise wouldn't because you always get carried away reading the same stuff or reading the stuff you're actually super interested in. And that's why me and Callum are kind of taking turns choosing these books so that we can choose something different every week and it'll fit a different audience. So go on then. You was going to say, let's, you was going to point out the areas of the brain that we're talking about because you're going to actually explain it in, in, in decree format now, aren't you? Well, yeah, not so much. I just basically the the main part of it. Obviously, the book's called the Chimp Paradox. The the 
limbic, I think it's called the limbic system or the limbic part of your brain is mm -hmm. the is the chimp uh, in the in the analogy. And it's the emotional machine, as you said, it's the emotional side of the battle. Um, and you're also correct, it's the first one that gets, it's or everything kind of goes through the chimp first. They say it's five times stronger than the uh, logic side. And then the, yes. the the computer side of the brain, which is, is your memories, that's actually, that you build habits in, that's actually 20 times stronger than the emotion, not than the emotion, than the logic side of the brain, and four times stronger than the uh, emotional side of the brain. So if you can turn something into a habit, uh, so positive habits and things you do negatively, you will always refer back to the memories over the emotions. Sorry, go on. I'll let you carry on. Yeah, no, you're you're right. That is that's definitely it. Um, so, yeah. So basically, if you've ever had to calm yourself down, like the the other the thing, the other point is that you are the human in your brain, which is the frontal lobe is the human side of the brain, I believe. So um, you've got the frontal lobe, which is you. Then you've got the limbic system, which is the chimp, which is like the super old part of your brain um, that thinks you're still in the jungle. We'll get onto that in a bit, I'm sure. And then the, uh, pari I think it's the parietal, or parietal part of your brain. That's the computer. That's the. See, that's why I didn't remember none of them words. Exactly. I don't, I don't even. I had to write them down because I was like, ah, I don't know, but. Chimp, human, and computer, super easy. So that's why this guy's winning, I'm sure. Uh, so it's, it's, emo it's emotions, logic, and memory, though, isn't it? Yeah, essentially. Essentially, yeah. Um, and, it, yeah, basically, you're the human. Um, you are the logical part of this whole system. And uh, when it works together, it works really well. But when uh, you rely on one or the other, chimp or human, you can run into issues. So if you've ever... Um, got yourself worked up about something and you've had to tell yourself just calm down just relax that's the human actually having a conversation with the chimp you have spoken to the chimp in your brain if you've said that which i have i don't know if you've ever said that to yourself but i've definitely said it to myself um and uh yeah i think that that's sort of um uh jumping to conclusions as well is also a real chimp thing if you've ever jumped to a conclusion about someone that's your chimp doing it i think um I've personally found as soon as I started reading it, I was like, I know my chimp. Like I've definitely met this, this chimp before. Uh, and I, as soon as I realized it, as soon as the visual analogy was in my head, I was like, you know what? I can apply this to like pretty much every situation I'm in. And also loads of past situations that I've been in. It allowed me to reflect on it in a, in a different way. And yeah, I think that, that which was quite good for removing guilt from certain situations um, because everyone has a chimp in their brain. It's not really your fault. It's just you have to make a choice on who's in charge. You can't make a choice. It, the emotional side of your brain is stronger. So when I say the emotional side, I can't call it a chimp. It, I, I feel stupid saying it. I can't imagine this guy going, <laughs> I going know, to I just an love event. It. Right? I can't imagine a guy going to an event and then he's stood on stage and he's talking to a load of people that are actually going to be psychologists and he's calling it the chimp and 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 what was the other one? You chimp and you human and it's like and it's your emotions and your logic, isn't it? It's kind yeah. of it reminded me of me and my business partner Martin. Me and my business partner right. Martin. I'm very emotional, me. So everything I do is all based on emotion. I don't think first. Like what you said, have you ever told yourself, oh, no, no, calm down, don't do that? No, I usually say to myself, shit, I did it again. Like, ah, I put in it again. I, I, I got in a bad mood or I snapped or I, I, I did something. And then later I think, damn, why can't I stop myself doing that? Whereas Martin- yeah, That is your human, but just a bit too late. 
much too late. <laughs> uh, whereas Martin, my business partner, he's the logic side of the business. So I'll say to him, right, I've got this idea. We're going to do this, 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 this. And he's like, right, stop. Let's think. And I'm like, do we have to? Can't we just do it? And, and, and I think that's kind of, but one of the things that I, I got from the book, which is brilliant because a lot of people try to control their emotions and they try to live on logic, which is, which would make you like, is, is, is it kind of a sociopath? Is that type of somebody who, who's got logic, but doesn't have emotion? I, I'm not sure I understand what sociopath is, but I, I imagine a psychopath. I read a book called, um, surrounded by psychopaths. He's done the same sort of thing. Okay. And he gives colors for anyway, it's a, it's a different, it's a different thing that, but he does gives colors to different types of people. And I think what you, what, what happens a lot is people's emotional, your emotional side forgets that people have different types of brains and it forgets to give them a, a certain type of, of, of breathing room for their personalities. Like some people are very in, in introvert and they don't like getting outspoken and they don't like being in front of audiences and things. And other people are yeah. proper outspoken and they're super hyperactive. And so I think, but one of the things I took from the book was the emotional side of your brain, um, which is your chimp side of your brain. And it, it, the emotional side of your brain has to be allowed to act out what you're craving um, and you can look at this from, from, from a positive thing, or you can look at it from a negative thing. So for example, an, an emotional, so we've all got this logical brain inside that tells us you should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should do the other. Yeah. But then when somebody snaps up and they get angry, they'll act the way that they shouldn't act because their emotions takes over until eventually the logic gets, starts to, to, to come in and explain to your brain, you shouldn't act like that. And when I was looking at this, cause I've, I, for years I studied serial killers, right? Something really, really intru- in, 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 interested me. For years, when I was growing up, I, I read books on nearly hundreds of them, if not like most of them. And and what this book made me realize is that the the serial killer side of a serial killer is their emotional side. It's their craving. It's their they have this emotional th- and logically they know they shouldn't be going out doing it. Hence why they can live a normal life and they can do a normal thing and the thing. But every now and again, when it manages to take over, they go out and they do these fucking sick evil things again. And it kind of it gave me an understanding into people, not just not just serial killer people, but all different types of people. When you look at it from an an emotional and a logic side, and I believe after reading um, Atomic Habits that if if people look at it the way that, that that we're talking now from the emotion and the logic side of things and they realize that a, a, a habit can be formed that can take over and stop your emotions ruling you there's a lot of things in society and a lot of problems in society that i believe could be actually um could be cured and, and could be be treatable by turning these things into habits in, in, and putting them into your memory so that you react the way a boxer reacts he puts his hand up when somebody's about to hit him and, and so on and so forth. and i don't know how you feel about that yeah yeah i i agree i think a lot of it comes from from values doesn't it the like the the habit so to speak is obviously some of these things are habits as in like um where like especially food-based things we've talked about before like you're reaching for the biscuits um because it's just a habit you're not actually hungry you're just you're just going for it that's a that's a uh i think he calls them gremlins in this which is just like a a negative habit that is soft wired into your brain that you just you know you can get rid of it if you really try but you want to reach out and go for it um but there's also there's also uh values that are that you need to establish within yourself so you can create these autopilot responses to things um because if you have it in your brain uh, I, how many people have you met in your life like that just say things like, 
uh, stuff like, oh, I'm, I've got like, I've got real anger problems. Like, oh yeah, but people just, you know, I've just got real anger problems. And like what they're, they may have anger problems, but by saying it, what they're doing is perpetuating the value of I'm an angry person. So when something happens to them, their initial response, their autopilot is they, you know, the chimp looks on the computer because it doesn't know what to do. And it types into Google, what do I do? The first thing that pops up is I'm an angry person. So the chimp goes, all right, get angry. Like that's. So when they get heightened emotions, people snap up and flip out rather than, um, thinking to themselves okay but you should, so you should build a habit in there where breathe i think he says so, something in the book yeah. where he says to you, you if you say the word to yourself change before like you're about to flip you're about to get mad you get emotional and if you just if you have like a, a a trigger word that you implement into your mind where you turn around and you'll say something like change or monkey brain or whatever they want to fucking call it yeah and, and all of a sudden it'll it'll change your reaction to that um which I think I think was really good, especially because 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 eating you got to eating. It mo- there's a lot of people who are emotional eaters, and they, they actually yeah. call it an emotional eater, don't they? Yeah, they say that, that when they depressed, they're emotional. I used to drink a lot, you know that. <laughs> um, but I think mine was a bad habit, and it was an emotional thing. I'd come home, I'd sit down, I'd be like, right, I've done a day's work, I feel like I've had a graft. I'm once I started to relax, my my habit was to drink, was to was to go and get a bottle of wine, or go and get a few cans, or go and get a bottle of jack daniels or whatever and have a drink every single night and it can't be cut and, and i see people who do it now who i know in, in 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 normal life and their habit is to get on from work and open a bottle of wine and it's yeah. like i kind of changed my habit um and at, at the risk of psychoanalyzing you you've said a couple of times before that um obviously your background like where you grew up a lot of the time you were surrounded by people that were drinking and taking drugs all the time um on a large scale and do you think that maybe the environmental aspect of that is something that affected your 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 um your value in that in that sense which is when i'm you know after i work or after i'm like if i'm tired or when i'm at home then i can drink because drinking is normal in that environment because you've seen it all the time growing up and that environmental value goes into your head do you think that that could be where it came from Growing up, there was no weekend because right. growing up, when when you live when you live in an area where nobody works, nobody has jobs, everybody's on benefits, or they're out thieving, um, or they have um, Del Boy tendencies, right? Which is basically if you've if you've never watched it, it's called The Only Fools and Horses. It's a brilliant sitcom, and it's it's a guy who basically is an old style entrepreneur. It came out in the eighties, and it ran for twenty odd years, um, and what what it what 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 so so you've got like three three most people don't have normal nine to five jobs and and what i would hear a lot growing up is oh he's he's done really well for himself he's got a job <laughs> that was like yeah. not expected most people didn't have jobs and, and wouldn't go out and get a job um and so yes m- every day was a weekend and because every day was a weekend we'd get wrecked every day People would drink every day and smoke weed every day, and and you'd wake up and be like, "Has anyone got any money? Yeah, okay, let's go and buy some beers. Go and get create slager, or let's go." And, and that was kind of a, a situation. So, I, I I I believe that yes, that was um. How did you change your drinking habit, Mike? And how long did it take you? Um, I was I I I didn't I, I, I the the hardest thing for me was to acknowledge the the issue so so it was it was at first it was to say i've got a problem with drink 
Um, and, and I knew it because there's so many times where I've woke up the next day and not know what's happened the night before. There's so many times I've woke up the next day and I've ruined things like, 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 and, and it's like, oh, not again. Or I wouldn't get out of bed the next day and go to work. But all the time it was like, it was just a drink because it's, it's so accepted in society. So I think the first step for me was to actually admit that was the hardest thing was to admit you're an alcoholic. It's not that you, because I only drank at night. So I was like, oh, well, I'm not an alcoholic cause I only drink at night. But the definition of an alcoholic is somebody who cannot stop once they start. So there's two different types of drinkers. There's, there's, there's habitual drinkers, and then there's drinkers who drink where they can't stop once they start. And I was one of the ones who can't stop once I start. So if I had two bottles of whiskey in the house, the chances are I would drink them both. Luckily, I had never died. <laughs> um, and then like, one morning, I, I, I woke up. And I came downstairs to put the kettle on because we was getting the kids ready for school. And I'd noticed that I drank a bottle and a half of Maker's Mark the night before and I wasn't even drunk. And I realized that if I don't stop this, I'm going to die. And my children are very young. So I decided at that point I'm, I'm, I'm done. And I've tried to stop lots and lots and lots of times before that. I actually read a book that really, really helped, like massively helped because it changes the way you look at it. A guy called Alan Carr. Can you see that? Alan Carr, stop drinking now. And basically what he does is he looks at it as society. So he said, I mean, he made me look at it things like if you go to somebody's house and they are having having Christmas, and, and I've seen this many times over the years, oh, he's all right, like, like a 13 or a 14-year-old in a, a family dinner, and people will turn around and say, oh, he's all right, let him have a glass of wine, it's Christmas. And it's like, would you give him a joint and tell him to spark up a spliff and get stoned? You wouldn't. And why would you not do that? Because the government don't get taxed on that. So it's not seen as acceptable by everybody in society and it kind of changed the way i look at alcohol and the way i look at the marketing side of alcohol they've, they've been so good at marketing it that it's become an accepted thing into society where everybody accepts to do it if, if every day i got home and i says oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go and take a load of prozac or i'm gonna go and take a load of valium or tamazepam people are like he's a fucking junkie and he's fucked up but them same people will go home and drink a full bottle of wine and, and be in the same mental framework I was in. And I think that that guy, Alan Carr, who his book helped massively because I read it two or three times back to back to back to back to get it drummed into my mind that um, I had to stop. And don't get me wrong, I was running a successful business and I was doing all the other things I was doing, but I was drinking myself into to, to the point where some nights I would fall asleep sat in the actual chair where I was with where, where I'd sat down to watch TV and I'd wake up the next morning and I was like shit upstairs for a shower go and get ready bang out to work and it was it was getting getting bad yeah so it took a long time but I think the first step is to um is is to admit it is to is to 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 to, to admit to yourself that you've got a problem um then it's a case of being able to say it to to other people so for example if I go out <clears throat> for a drink with a load of mates who are having a drink, like um, when I go on an events and things like that, people say, do you want a beer? And I was like, no, I'll just have a water, I'll have a Coke or I'll have, <clears throat> I won't even have alcohol free out of beer. And someone's like, oh, have a drink, have a drink, you know, have a drink. I will just say, I'm an alcoholic, can't drink. And I will say that now because then people won't make try and make you feel bad. Like, oh, just have one, just have one. Because I know full well, I can't have one. But it took me such a long time to be able to turn around and say to somebody, I'm an alcoholic. And that way they won't push it on you. And And it's not, I don't need to say that, but if you do say that, people treat you differently when you're out. But then people start to say, "Oh, don't drink around him, Kizzy, Kizzy." So, so it's 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 a weird one because it's so ingrained in society. But 
Yeah. yeah. And it, and if, if you're not, say, comfortable with saying something like, I'm an alcoholic, you could always say something along the lines of, I've quit drinking or I don't drink anymore. It's like a, it's assertive, but it's not necessarily, uh, you don't necessarily get into the sort of personal. People will still try and push it. it on you if you say that. I've tried that. I don't drink. Really? Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, he's a pussy. You don't drink. Why are you not having a beer uh, okay. with the lads? And it's like. Because that, um, that is how I think this book would probably tell you to answer that question. Yeah, it would, but it doesn't work when everybody's drunk. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't work against chimps when everyone's full chimp brain. Yep. It requires someone to be human. It's the same with emotional eating. People do it. Emotional eating is the exact, it's a sugar habit. You've got the habit, uh, you've got the addiction to sugar. Emotional, most emotional eaters or most people that have, have, have like diabetes is killing loads of people. I was saying to my missus the other day, I was, uh, we were somewhere and, and probably 70% of the people that were walking past us were like super obese. And I was like, the human race is fucked. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, look at us now compared to if you go back to the 80s. Go and watch a sitcom from the 80s and most of the people in the things were slim. You go back to the, these nowadays and you look at real life now, real life back then, everybody's getting real. And, it, and it's because, again, the same situation, sugar is being marketed to society as though it's it's fine. Sugar gives you energy. But um, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. I, I read somewhere once that the biggest marketing um, scam of all time was calling sugar sugar and fat fat. Yeah. And they should have called, the fat should have been called sugar because it doesn't make you fat and sugar should have been called fat because it's sugar that actually makes you fat, causes cholesterol, causes inflammation, causes all sorts of shit gives you diabetes and kills loads and loads of people every single year. And if you look back from the eating habits back in the sixties, before there were lots of processed food and, and lots of high calorie um, foods that contain a lot of sugar, people weren't obese because they used to eat things like vegetables and meat and a lot more. Um, and, and we still had a lot of bread in, in society then. So people right. try and make bread the, the, the evil. But when you look at it, we still had a lot of bread back then. It's not that it's the, it's the, it's the shit that people like Kit Kat and and and, and boosts and Cadburys and all the and crisps. I think as well, cheap food was uh, healthy or healthier back in the day. I think that un unhealthy food was a bit of a luxury, whereas you know, like cheap. You know, now you can get extremely cheap food, which is you know frozen, full of preservatives and all of these things, and microwavable so it's cheap and easy and you know people have to work more hours and they have to work more hours that they don't feel like they have enough time people aren't taught to cook anymore as well which is a value thing as people don't it's not something that we're uh you get it into your head i can't cook so then you whenever you are in a situation where you're like oh what should, what should i have for dinner one of the autopilots that fires in your head is i can't cook so immediately you you take that equ equation uh, you put that into the equation and the answer is always oh great well i'll take something out or i'll go find something that takes me like two seconds to heat up in a microwave and they're really bad for you um and i think they're just more accessible now than they were before um which is probably why people are getting fat and also as well the in terms of the the chimp is that uh the chimp is like a pretty primal force and it lives in the jungle so in in your in your brain it still thinks that you're in the jungle and massive boosts of calories and stuff like that are always good news when you're when you're in a 
a constant state of trying to survive um because think of the energy expenditure that they're putting out there like how they're probably not sleeping a ton because they're worried about predators and stuff like that so getting all these extra calories is really good so your chimp brain just wants you to eat crap all the time that's that's one of its motivations no no it doesn't have a long yeah it doesn't really have a long um yeah a long game it's more of a short-term thing because you never know you might get killed by a jaguar or, or like something in the next couple of hours so it's more it makes more sense to scoff loads of food now so i see that it's like the chimp agenda is one of the things that you have to that this book talks about like getting to know quite well and it's going to be normally motivated by surviving and perpetuating the species and um large parts of that go go into stuff like not making the troop angry you know like trying to keep things in then, your what one of the things you said in the book actually that made a lot of sense to me is um so if if you if you want to achieve something if you if, you, if you're in business or if you're um if you're trying to get fit or you're trying to get six pack or you're trying to do anything like that or you're trying to become good at anything he says if you think of it from an emotional perspective what what you tend to do from an emotional perspective is you tend to look at right this is the pinnacle of where i want to get this is like the top of the mountain right and from an emotional perspective you'll stand at the bottom and you're like holy fucking shit man i've got to get all the way to the top of the mountain and it's going to take me days or weeks or whatever it is that it's going to get you there and so whenever you you've got a big project in front of you people have this the instantly emotionally you look at the, the pinnacle you look at the top you look at where you're trying to get to like some people might turn around and say right i want a million dollars in the bank by by this time next year or the year after right and then they're going to look at the whole thing as a big project and it's going to put them off because it's like oh it's never going to happen now i'm going to do it whereas if you use your emotional brain if you use your logical brain um which which he calls the human brain you're then in a situation where what you do is it's like right okay so i want to get from here to here what's the first step Okay, and then just forget about everything else. It's like, okay, what's the first step that I need to? And I always, this is how I always do every project I work on. Is I always think, right, what knowledge do I need? Then I try and figure out the process, and then I'll start implement, 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 implement each of the steps along the way. But I've made so many mistakes throughout the years and cocked up so many things that it's took me years and years and years to realize that if you're always just looking for targets, if you've got targets. And, and you're emotionally driven towards achieving those targets, 99% of the time you're going to fail because you haven't got all the small wins along the way. Whereas if you break it down, structure it, and use, use logic, you'd be in a position where you, you kind of climb in the step a bit at a time. Yeah, I found this like, it was, yeah, I like that part of the book. It was interesting. Although I had, I'm very prone to procrastinating. So I like the concept of celebrating partial successes. Um along the way so hitting a certain milestone or whatever um but is there anything that is there anything you can maybe implement that stops you from staying and enjoying the view a little too long because i like the idea of celebrating partial successes but then there's always the the procrastinator in me which i believe is probably a chimp that goes to uh that sees that partial success and goes oh great job well done that was really good you succeeded in this now you can reward yourself by taking a nap or get going on your phone or something like that, which is really healthy. That's good. But then you, you can't get back into the 
flow of what you're so, trying so, to do. So would it not be a case of telling yourself that every time that you receive a reward, that's classed as an instant reset? Um, if you teach yourself that every time you have a reward, that's an instant reset. Because I've had days, I mean, uh, we've had days where we've done 100, 150K in a day. And we've been like, wow, that's fucking amazing. Now, if we was in a situation where we're like, that's amazing, let's all take a week off. Um, would we have focused? Would we have ever come back? Would we have carried on doing what we're going to do? I Probably not. Whereas nowadays, if 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 I have a 150 grand day, it's like, okay, the next day starts. I probably don't even celebrate it anymore. I just go, yay. And then it's like, right, next. <laughs> yeah. So the celebration is really something that you'd say should be kind of short and something that you... Um, Alden's the same. That's good. I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> um, that you have a, uh, yeah, that reset. You, the the reset button is hit. You can go, oh, brilliant. We can start again because you can use that success to teach yourself and put into your autopilot that if you do the process again, you'll hit the next success. And I guess it's just keeping that dopamine kind of thing going rather than getting overpowered by your urge to wander off and do something else i mean if you, if you look at yourself like you would a client right so so when you're looking at a client for example and i know i always refer things back to business because kind of i live for what it's I your do. experience so it makes sense yeah, I, I experience but what, what you do as a as 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 a business owner you create something called a value ladder for your customer and that value ladder for your customer is kind of okay this is where so this person wants to get from here to here yeah, they want to be, they, this is where they're coming in the door and they might come in in the middle of the value ladder because they've been doing it for years, but it's like, okay, where did they fit on the value ladder and where do we want to help them get to? And then, and then you're going to, you're going to, I, I allocate steps along the way to get them to where they want to actually go. So you set out the full plan, you'll map it all out, you'll do it. If you do that with yourself, you've kind of already got an automatic progression to the next step because you've looked at it and said, right, my, my value ladder of where I am now and where I want to be is here. So step number one is this. So you've got one one achievement, but then you've already mapped out the value ladder to step number two is this achievement. Step number three is this achievement and so on and so forth. It's like people who do bodybuilding and stuff like that would more than likely be like, right, step number one is I want to get X amount of muscle mass on my body. They don't care how fat they can become. They just want to build right. huge muscles underneath there and hammer the protein and everything else. And they get to step number one. It's like, right, now I'll wait. 17 stone and, and i've got massive big muscles but i'm also flabby so the next step will be then right so value ladder number two is continue to maintain the amount of protein you've got as an intake but then also reduce the amount of carbohydrates that you're taking so you can bring your body fats down 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 slowly and then kind of do you know what i mean so so right yeah i, I feel that maybe maybe looking at things step by step but also mapping out each individual step as a progression and even mark off that I'm going to have celebrations at this point. Because again, that was something that was in the book. It says, um, manage your inner chimp by giving it room to vent. So at the end yes. of every, at the end of every win, you have to let your emotions out and you have to let yourself vent and you have to let yourself go out and, and enjoy what you've had. Otherwise there's no fucking point to it. Yeah. Got to give the chimp a banana, I guess. Yeah, We try, the, we try and do it. Once analogy. A month. At my house, we we try and do once a month. We just go out and, and nothing fancy, nothing special, but we tend to just go and stay in a hotel somewhere. Um, and we have breakfast in that hotel with the kids. And even we try and make sure it's got a jacuzzi and and, and a swimming pool and things like that. And it's just like it's a break away from home, and it kind of and, and it kind of it kind of resets everybody. Even if it's just for one night, it yeah, kind of resets everybody's clocks in the house. 
That's cool. Yeah, and it's something that you can reliably like do on a constant basis. That is always something to look forward to as well, which is a, a driving force. Interesting. You should mention about managing the chimp, and we've talked about the banana thing and a reward. Um, but there are three ways that he says in the in the book that you can manage a chimp. Um, but before you manage a chimp, he talks about nurturing the chimp, which I thought I I just love talking about the chimp. I know it sounds ridiculous, but That's nurturing so the I'm nurturing the chimp, man. Um, so <laughs> nurturing a chimp, your chimp is um, realizing its drives and expressing those drives in a controlled way. Now, personally. Um, there are certain chimp drives that I was suppressing for a very long time, um, mostly um, aggression, dominance, stuff like that, because I thought that it made you, um, I thought that you couldn't be a virtuous per person if you had aggression or a drive to dominate others, I, which made, and when I'm talking about dominate others, I mean like impose my will on other people. I've always been very uh, relaxed. And if other people have, you know, opinion, if other people have suggestions or inputs and stuff, I'm very happy to go with what they're, what they want, which is a strength in some, in some environments is a strength, but in other parts of my life has been a massive weakness. And um, one of the um, values I had that was an issue was I am a pacifist. That was a value that I'd put into my brain because violence never achieves anything. That's one of the other values I put into my brain. And what that did was um, I didn't realize, but I was only looking inwardly at myself. So I went, um, I went to watch a movie with my friend and we, uh, we got out of the movie. We, we, went to get some food afterwards no drink involved for us um just nerding out about this film getting some food in subway we we walk into subway well we get like near the door and we can hear some noise inside there's some loud voices people shouting and stuff so we peek our we peek our heads in and there's a guy in subway throwing chairs and just freaking out at the staff behind the counter and the staff behind the counter were uh they they were polish so they didn't speak much english they couldn't uh they couldn't negotiate with this guy he was just completely off his head chimping out throwing stuff around going nuts and these guys behind the behind the counter were massive they were huge and uh i was thinking to myself like they're about to batter this guy's freaking out so me trying to be a negotiator, I wade into the situation, I try to calm down the guy that's freaking out, and my friend and me kind of working as a team try to calm down the guys behind the counter too. And um, it doesn't go particularly well, but I usher this guy who's going nuts outside, and uh, I'm like, look, mate, you're going to get arrested if you keep doing this. You should go to the beach. We're lucky enough to live by the sea. So go to the beach and go chill out on the beach and relax. Otherwise, you're going to get in big trouble. Um, probably going to get battered by these two massive Polish guys, but also could get arrested. So he walks off and we're like, ah, great, brilliant. We solved that issue without any kind of need for violence. That was a good result. My value has been reinforced. I'm a pacifist. Violence never solves anything. Fantastic. However, 
uh, as I was celebrating this victory, giving myself a banana, uh, I heard footsteps behind me. I turned around, and this guy who I told to go away had just returned with a uh, massive, like, sort of bin full of food waste recycling that he got from a restaurant around the corner. And uh, he'd not had an issue with me. His problem wasn't with me. So I didn't think I was in any danger. I'm a pacifist, remember? So that's, some, that's my perspective. And uh, I look at this guy, and he looks at me in the eyes. I've never been looked at in that way before since never it was like a death stare it was the evil eye i've never literally never been given this this look before or since and uh he swung this bin at me and i, I put my hands up it hit my arm and it, it was so heavy and it was full of like rotten like potatoes <laughs> and shit it was awful and uh i was like oh man and, and it hurt and i put my hands and it, because it hurt my my chimp was like hey wake up you fool like you're a you're in trouble here and my human my logic was going you are a pacifist chill out like you know this is fine like you're going to be able to like jedi mind tricks your way out of this situation it's always worked before and uh but my my chimp just woke up for a second and i wish i wish that my chimp had uh decided to uh punch this guy in the face unfortunately because my chimp was conditioned to thinking that it should be relaxed and chill it didn't and this guy then with his second swing hit me in the face with this bin and oh. uh yeah it was a big blunt heavy object and it just cut me to pieces like my nose the top of my nose split immediately all under my left eye just got basically ripped open um and proper ufc injury like there was like blood was like kind of pumping out of my face i'd never been cut like it before and I sort of hit the floor. I popped straight back up because I was worried that he was going to hit me again. And I was like, if he hits me on the top of the head, I'm going to go unconscious. I don't want that to happen. Um, so I popped back up and I looked at my friend and I went, I think that guy just fucked up my face. <laughs> my went, yeah, I think you, you should come in and sit down. So uh, uh, long story short, I ended up, um, we ended up going to court about the, the assault. Um, he, I, I won some money from the from the settlement in court and i looked at my what had let me down in that situation and i blame the guy i mean he's a dickhead like what what are you doing there you know he needs to control himself but i also blame myself because if i didn't have those values of i'm a pacifist i shouldn't hurt others violence never solves anything um i think i would have gone into that situation gone this guy's a knob Either I'm not going to deal with this because I don't want to punch him in the face because, you know, violence doesn't solve anything, but also I don't want to get in trouble and I could hurt him, blah, blah, blah. However, what I should have done is probably just chucked him on the floor and held him there until the police arrived or punched him in the face or choked him unconscious, which in hindsight probably would have solved the issue and I wouldn't have got hurt. As you get older, your experiences make you react differently so, so well, that was probably one of the first times that's ever happened to you but you should have gone to mcdonald's right yeah <laughs> i should have just people, peaced out i should have yeah, just gone away I, I, you should have just looked and thought because you know if you'd have cracked him in the mouth you'd have probably ended up getting arrested anyway yeah so it, it, there is no real yeah i, th- I think the initial way of dealing with it without walking off exactly i know what you mean i th- 
I think the initial experience, if I'd had experience of conflict, which clearly I hadn't, which is why I'd come up with the value of like, uh, like sort of aggression and violence doesn't solve anything or whatever. I think, right, this is also a really valuable point. I'm going to show it. Alden says there's violence and there's self-defense, which is exactly the point I'm about to make. So I would have avoided the situation completely if I'd understood the domain of violence, how dangerous it could be and the repercussions that it could cause rather than just being like, violence shouldn't exist. I should have been like, I understand violence and I know why it's not the relevant thing to do in this situation. However, when the guy was, when my chimp woke up after he hit me the first time is when, like Alden says, I, I should have defaulted to self-defense. When I had, when the court settlement happened, I, I won an amount of money and I decided I would invest that money in changing my mindset, which uh, involved me buying flights to Thailand. And I spent the next month living in a Muay Thai gym and learning how to fight. And I'd never punched another person before, before that time. And um, yeah, it was a very interesting experience. So I, I basically went out there and I got really into martial arts. And then when I returned home, I did karate and jujitsu and um, now I train jujitsu all the time and, um, and I love it. And I can't, I, when I'm not doing it, I have, uh, I get stressed out. And, um, I think that that is part of nurturing the chimp, which was my original point, um, is that if you don't nurture these things, these drives, even you might see them as evil or not virtuous like I did. I think if you don't virtue, if you don't, sorry, if you don't nurture them, you end up with a real weakness and you have to do it in a controlled way. So I nurture my drive to be aggressive and dominate other people. Um, <laughs> us, let's go, Alden. Um, and uh, uh, I nurture that by doing something like this in a controlled environment. And if you want to nurture your, you know, the, the drive to be in a troop and have friends, uh, like close friends, instead of ending up in a gang, you could end up in a football team, like way, way more constructive. And it, it is a gang for all intents and purposes, but it's got a positive um, direction. And I think that that's what he means by nurturing the chimp and uh, why before you manage the chimp in a sort of desperate situation, you should uh, have these practices of nurturing it. Um, but the, uh, yeah. Uh, first of all, do you have any experiences of nurturing your chimp? God, it sounds so dirty. I need to stop saying it, but it's just so funny. Nurturing your yeah, chimp. Uh, no, no, I don't. I, I, I've you don't nurture your chimp. I guess, I guess when when I was younger, I was a complete opposite. So when I was younger, I I liked okay. fighting. I enjoyed having a scrap, um, and I did it regularly, but not not to the point like what you said, where we'd get the police involved and get in trouble and all the rest of that. Just like two guys wanted trouble we would get away from where the school was and we'd go on a field and we'd kick the shit out of each other and we'd be friends afterwards uh, but i was getting into fights all the way through school up to the age of about 14 when i left school um and i, and, and I was still always getting myself in trouble when i was going out and, and things with my friends so i ended up uh, getting into to boxing and kickboxing and, and doing martial arts which stopped me being an idiot um so but i was kind of brought up with different values it was like I was always taught if somebody hits you, if somebody's going to hit you, hit them first. <laughs> yeah. Don't let somebody hit you, hit them first. And and remember, if someone's going to hit you, they're actually going to attack you to be violent and they're, they're, they're wanting to. So 
pick up a brick and hit them. Oh, <laughs> That's God. kind of the way I was taught as a kid. <laughs> it was like, don't, don't give them the opportunity to damage you. Damage them first. That was kind of our upbringing. So mine was, we're obviously from two completely... Your, your father's in, in, in the police, so, so we're from two completely opposite ends of the scale. Yeah. Um, so Although no, I, I think, think my dad would have told me to probably hit the person first, like you said, to be fair. I think he's probably got so much experience of that happening. He probably would have advised that, although I'm not an expert and I'm not giving anyone any legal advice. I think, I think in, my 20s, <laughs> in my 20s, I probably would have got involved. Um, in my 30s, I probably would have considered getting involved. Now I'm in my 40s. I would, if that was happening and I was walking up towards the subway and it was all kicking off, unless there was an, a, a woman being assaulted, um, and it was just hmm. some drunk idiot being an idiot. I would just go somewhere else for something to eat. I, I guess you kind of you, the way you react to things as you grow older, your emotions stop having the control because you have experience to to go. And it's the same in business. It's the same in anything that you do in life. You kind of you build experiences, which becomes the computer in your brain, as he, as he refers to it, which gives you those reactions to situations that stop you from. Um, fucking up by being emotional yeah because emotions cock everything up don't they yeah that's true <laughs> yeah, but they're super important because without them then you can't navigate the world really because you wouldn't have any preference it's like for example one of the biggest drives of the chimp is obviously to perpetuate its species so the sex drive is really strong and um you know it's one of those things if you didn't have a sex drive you'd be in a very it would be a very confusing place. You'd struggle to have relationships with people and it would be really weird. But on the other hand, as if you're not uh, nurturing it in a constructive way and you go the opposite way, you end up serially cheating on your partners and ruining your relationships that way too. So it, it's both kind of kind of ways. I, th um, I think that happens as you as you get older anyway. You just, you know, and when, when, you when you're in your early 20s, your uh, your emotions drive you completely um and that's why you'll see 20 year olds tantruming and flipping out and attacking people and doing things and then as they started to get into the late 20s that stops um and and we all i mean i mean the book itself the way we've moved around talking about this today is 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 the the, the book itself is is genius the way it's been written the way it's been put together it takes a subject that otherwise you probably wouldn't ever even consider thinking about unless you was doing a degree in psychology um and and it and it makes it so that we can relate to it because people can really, I mean, the way he explains it throughout, he refers to chimps so many times that I would get into the point where I was like, just stop talking about chimps. But when you look at what he's actually talking about, he's related, he's, 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 he's making the three different areas of your remote, your, your, your mind relatable. There's, 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 there's the emotional side of things. There's the, uh, logical side of things and then there's the memories or the reactions so you've got like a hard drive that will your automations i think he calls them um yeah. which which is like your reflexes but you, your brain has also got reflexes to certain situations so your your brain's reflex to the situation you experienced in subway would now be much much different because you've got past experience because you you'll then look first into your memory banks and say okay i've done this before don't be an idiot either walk past or <laughs> or put a head guard on type of situation yeah, yeah. mouth guard in 
So, so what did you, what did you what did you think over overall from the book? Um, is there any other points that were really good points in there that we haven't covered? Um, I mean the the ones I was gonna hit probably briefly would be like the other ways to manage the the chimp because that's quite I I would think is something that people um, <laughs> should do it to Joe Rogan about the chimp exactly alopecia chimps the I, I was gonna bring it up actually the the chimp with no hair the alopecia chimp I don't know if you've ever seen a video of it but it was on Joe Rogan and it just looks like a little jacked bald dude it's terrifying absolutely <laughs> terrifying um definitely worth googling um but yeah the the ways to to manage the the chimp because i think that could give um people listening um some practices that they could do to genuinely try and improve you know improve themselves because of this book without the need to read it although i would recommend reading it to your point about how i felt about the book um so um should we jump into those quick and then we can yeah 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 take sum it, it away up? mate I'm I'm sat here waiting <laughs> all right um so what you were talking about is like venting um he calls that exercising the chimp really mm -hmm. again sounds dirty but I think it's uh, a good um yeah a good thing so it's basically like yeah, I think everyone's done it is when something annoying happens and you can't deal with it logically because you're too emotional. So what you should do is take yourself to a, a private place and um, ho hopefully alone, but you might not have the opportunity um, and to just release those emotions in probably just talking form or maybe shouting uh, and just go through the whole situation in your head, all your frustrations, just let it all come out. I, I do this all the time. I, I'm like, all the negative self-talk and stuff. I really try to not negative self-talk anymore. We've spoken about that before. And um, I let it all just rush out in a massive, like probably five or 10 minutes of me just losing my mind. And then the chimp is just all tuckered out and just goes to sleep. And then the human can take over and be like, okay, well, that was stupid. All right, how are we going to fix this problem? And um, so he calls that exercising the chimp. I think that's pretty important. You can do it with someone else, but um, he suggests this, and I think I would suggest it too, is that don't... Um, don't let that person be someone that feels ego-driven to get involved in the situation by being like, well, that's stupid. Well, that doesn't make any sense. No, what I would do is this because you don't need, you're not looking for advice. You are literally looking for the experience of just getting it out there. I've got a couple of friends that I can do this to and a couple of friends that I wouldn't do it in front of because I think that they would just want to get involved and probably enjoy it a little bit. So um, yeah. That's really important. And then once the chimp is knackered and is not fighting with you anymore, um, you put it in a box. You box the chimp, um, which is when you use facts and uh, truths to make the chimp unable to like take back control. And I think one of the most important truths or facts that he uses in the book is that life isn't fair. It's a fact. Life is just not fair. Um, sometimes life is fair, but sometimes it's unfair, which means in general, it's not fair. And, uh, I think if you remind yourself of that, uh, once the chimp has calmed down and you've exercised it, life isn't fair. Like it, sometimes bad things happen to good people. Uh, and you just have to, you can get really sour about that and keep chimping out, or you can just come to terms with it. And then you can try and get the best out of the situation, even if that is learning from it. 
even if you don't win loads of money and get to go to Thailand, what you... <laughs> you didn't what, win it. <laughs> it was well, compensation. It yeah, champs belt. <laughs> <laughs> I want the shot. <laughs> um, the undisputed bin champion of the world. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I won it in court. That yeah. I, That's what I meant. Um, but yeah, so... The, then your reward can be just learning from it in in the future and and getting a, a positive input into your computer rather than a negative one because you could easily have got a negative one i could have got a very negative input in my computer when uh, that situation happened to me it could be and it and it did start going that way the first couple of times i went out on a night out after i'd had my face smashed in is I was really afraid of everyone, like especially men that were, you know, really drunk or seemed like bigger than me or more aggressive or just looked scary, which is your chimp brain, pe judging people on their appearances rather than the content of their character. So, that, so it affected your confidence as well. Yeah, it threatened it. And there was a situation, luckily, that happened, which was, it was a sort of, um, I don't know, one of those situations that happens, you're like, oh, I'm so glad that this this happened so i don't have to deal with that anxiety forever because i probably only had to deal with it for about two hours it was on my first night out after it happened um probably it, it only just it only just healed so the scar was quite clear you can't really see it at all now but the scar was quite clear at the time um and and a bit red so um i was standing in a in a queue for uh, for the bar to get a drink and um this guy pushed in in front of me and i didn't say anything of course, because I'm not that type of person. Uh, but he pushed in in front of me, like pushed back into me a bit just to show how he'd pushed in in front of me. And uh, then when he bumped back into me, he turned around and was like, what's your problem? So clearly he was just looking for trouble. Mm -hmm. his, his friend grabs him immediately and goes, are you stupid? Look at that guy's face. And then <laughs> pause and he goes, he's clearly a boxer. Like, Look at his face. Like, he'll mess you up. And he looked at me and he goes, are you a boxer? And I just, just blinked out a uh, kickboxer like that. And he just went and he was like, see, I told you would have fucked you up. What are you doing? <laughs> and then the guy shook my hand, said, sorry, mate. And let me walk in front of him. And then my anxiety was completely cured. I was like, oh, like, fake it till you make it. Yeah. I was like, I'm not afraid anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not afraid anymore. Like, I'm not worried. Of, I'm not. And, and it also stopped me from feeling self-conscious about my face. Because I didn't, I wasn't thinking like, oh, do I look like I've been in a in a fight? Do I look like a thug? You know, I don't want to scare people. Um, but then I was like, nah, you know, girls love scars, so it's fine. Do they? <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't know. I reckon like a bunch of real ugly, scarred up, tough guys would tell you that chicks. Like <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's like, like the same bald men are better in bed. I've yeah. say that. It was, it was created by a bald guy. Uh, of course. Obviously. It just, it, it was the marketing of it that worked. And go, what other subjects, what other areas of, of the book have we not covered today? Because I thought we'd covered. The um, I, mean, I, I love, I love this because it's given me an understanding, right? That I never had before, right? I've, I've kind of, I've always had I, I read everything. You know, you've seen my my collection of books that I've read. I read absolutely everything, and um, I always feel like I've got a good grasp on on situations now, over the years. Mm. But this kind of made me understand it in a whole other way, um, because I I looked at it like a like a fight. There's a fight going on in your head all the time, 
between in fact if you look at it like you've got they, they do it in, in films where they've got an angel on the shoulder and they've got a devil on the shoulder yes and you've got you, you, i'm glad you, you said this i have a point yeah. related to it go on <laughs> that's like your emotions and it's like your um your, 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 your logic they're kind of like the two things that sit there and if the fighting that fight's going on constantly and if you can work on implement and, and this is going back to atomic habit but if you can work on implementing positive habits in your in, in your mind in your memory that, that become um automatic then the logic side of you is going to win more over the emotional side of you so it kind of looks at it like that like there's a constant fight going on in in all of us um and yes. it's like every time you go to the fridge whenever i go to the fridge because i've got two kids so we've always got like really nice food in right <laughs> and it's like <laughs> I've got to stop eating that shit. So I open the fridge and, and, and I'm kind of that fight that that, that that comes and it's like, you've got to stop eating that shit because you're old and you get fat really easy. <laughs> Whereas with, 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 and it's the same with everybody. There's, there's an emotional logic, a logic slash emotional battle going on in all of our heads. And what, what you need to do is focus on building positive um, automations, positive habits, positive reactions to the emotional state that gets you in trouble, which is again, like we talked earlier, it's it's how I ended up giving up alcohol. It took, yeah. took a long time, but I ended up giving up completely now. And I go out on events with with loads of guys, and they go to all sorts of crazy clubs with with like, I mean, there was one that we went to where people girls were carrying about these big bottles of champagne over the shoulder and it was being put into a bath afterwards and and i'm there drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> that's a massive. <laughs> that's a massive test. Yeah, but I've, I've, I do that every time. Now it doesn't bother me anymore. It's, it's kind of, in fact, a lot of great business deals get done when I'm at those events and I'm still thinking straight. And most of the people are, and uh, I, I, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. It's definitely it's a great idea." And I'm like, "Fuck it is. I'm going to yeah. make loads of money out of this." Um, See, it would probably be it would probably be a disadvantage for you if you were someone that had um, inhibitions and was someone that got kind of uh, nervous or needed that little extra uh boost of confidence because then you could be like yeah have a couple of drinks and suddenly you're not worried about saying the price and you can just go for it and just sell to these people and you don't you don't feel those inhibitions because you're drinking but luckily you're not particularly someone that strikes me as has to deal with those issues as much anymore at least your processes with dealing them are so good that you've autopiloted yourself out of it um you said to me many times when you're helping me with with writing and stuff is just just get it out there just do it if it's wrong who cares like just we'll, you'll get it right next time just go for it um which is something that i struggle with so in your position there i'd be like well i'll have a couple of pints and then i'll be able to actually talk to these people without freaking out which is it sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud doesn't it that you'd rely on a substance you wouldn't it's be like, like oh I'll, i'm gonna go and smoke crack before i get right, up on yeah i'll do a little bit of meth so i can like so I can actually like be the person that I'm supposed to be. It's like, no, maybe you could just fix that in your own head and, and deal with it that way rather than relying on that. Before that Alan Carr stopped drinking now, he's got about five or six of them out. He died actually, but, but, but he's got about five or six different books out and, and there's like Alan Carr stop sugar now. Alan Carr stop overeating. Alan Carr stop drinking, stop smoking. Um, and each of them, he, he attacks it as, as, as a habit. He attacks it as forming habits in your brain. That, that book is probably... Over over the books that have helped me business wise, but personally, that is probably the book that's helped me more than any other book that I've ever read, uh, because it does focus on. First of all, it breaks down the the way that society because it's all marketing. 
everything that we do is based around marketing. Uh, liquid confidence, you've just said there. Yes, that's exactly. what they got. That, again, that's brilliant marketing for alcohol. That's fantastic yes, alcohol it marketing. It's liquid confidence. You can just drink it and you can say anything to anyone. But, and it's like yeah. back in back in the sixties or, or or fifties or whenever it was when they were saying, oh yeah, all the cool people smoke and you smoke because it's healthy and shit like that. And it's kind of like they, 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 they've they've still not done that that what they've done with cigarettes with alcohol. Like like it kills more people than and pretty much anything I would imagine because in every town, village, and thing in, in every part of almost every single country, other than like countries where they don't drink. People are always drunk. Um, yeah. Like where we live, we live, this this is like, people. it's quiet now, but at the time of the year where it's holiday, there'll be a lot of people here drinking because a lot of people come to where we live to go on holiday. Um, yeah. And it was like in Spain, where I lived in Spain was was similar. It's a place called Javier. Um, and that was, that was a massive tourist area. Um, so there was like 10 English families that we knew that all lived around there. And then in the summer months, the whole place would be packed out, but the people that would turn up wouldn't act the way they acted at home. So, but, and it was always because they were drunk. Yeah, exactly. And they're they're dangerous when they're drunk as well. The Weymouth, our town is very safe. And then when you put in the summer, when the summer starts to come around, it becomes like fairly dangerous in certain areas because just everyone's smashed, Uh, which is why British people have a terrible reputation in most in most other foreign countries because I think they only because... experience our drunk people. Yep. I think, I think, I think well, I've lived in a few places where 99% of people that go there are only there for holidays. Um, I always said that to my missus years ago when we had no money, I always used to say to her, when we can afford it, I want to live where people go on holiday. Um, yeah. And, and, and we, for the last, I don't know, seven, eight years we have done kind of. And the reason we came back to to live in, in, in Weymouth was because we used to come here on holiday when we were kids, but we couldn't get the help for the, for our autistic daughter when we lived out in Spain. So it was like, okay, we need to go back to the UK because unfortunately in Spain, um, they don't like the English. And, and it's not something where you can say, yes, but these are doctors and these are nurseries and these are schools and these, the people. And because the people don't like the English, because the English turn up, we don't have jobs, we have loads of money, um, we drink too much, we're, we're, we're rude. We're, I mean, I, I can't say. And when when you live in an holiday area, you realise why people dislike the English. You, exactly. You don't get as many people saying it about the about the Germans because the, the, the climate's similar in in Germany as it is in the UK. So whenever you go anywhere, you'll get a lot of German people going there on holiday and a lot of English people going there on holiday. Uh, but people don't like the English. <laughs> yeah. Culturally German people are a little more organized and, uh, less, probably less likely to horribly embarrass themselves by drinking too much. They also drink, they get involved with drinking at a younger or at a young age, but in a controlled environment, which is something that people in the UK don't do. Uh, we start drinking at the same age when we're young, but we, we're not in a controlled environment. For, for me, for example, living in the countryside, like my first drinking experiences were probably like 12 or 13 maybe. And I was in a field in the middle of nowhere with cans of cider. Imagine like, if you could release a, a tablet that was healthy but made you feel like you were drunk. I guarantee the government would ban it. Yeah, probably. It would be They'd pretty dangerous. It, 
Why? But if it just made you feel drunk, because, so it's well because <laughs> because if it made you feel drunk, then I guess it would make you like also like be quick to violence and crash a car and stuff like that. Would it? I maybe. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know. But there's got to be a better no, way. I mean, to I mean, like it would be rotting everyone's livers and kill it anyway. We're talking about drink, how it's 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 bad. I I, I won't be going back. Yeah. Um. um yeah, any other uh, points in the book that we've not covered? Well, the point I was going to make about you talking about how the, there's a constant battle between the logical and the emotional, and um, and then having the computer is almost like the it's like benevolent doesn't really pick a side. It's just the input. It's like there was there's like a I actually don't know where it's from. I'm pretty sure it's a Native American proverb, but I'm not sure. I think it fits quite nicely. Is that um, they say that there's two wolves inside of everyone. And I don't know if you've heard about this before. There's a, the, a good wolf and a bad wolf. And the one, they're in constant conflict with each other. And the one that wins is the one that, is the one that you feed. So if you, if you focus on like good stuff, and you can look at that from an emotional and the logical, like the one that wins is the one that you, is the one that you feed, the one you put more effort into. However, you can't just think that, the solution to the problem isn't, well, I'll starve the bad wolf to death. I'll starve the emotional side of me to death so it doesn't ever pop up. That's not how it works because when that part of you is starving, it attacks you because it's like, you know, it can't win anymore. It's not, an, and it's not a fair fight, so it starts to fight dirty Become and it hits you when... Yeah, it hits you when you're not expecting it. So you have to, that's why stuff like we were talking about the the management of these kind of emotional things is really important. Um, I was also, uh, when I was driving here, I was like, the visual analogy in this book is fantastic. And I'm tr I was trying to think of one that was kind of the same and I, I couldn't, but I was trying to, like the three main parts of your brain, I was thinking like Star Wars, you've got the Jedi who are like super logical. They're like, reason over everything even if it means things that you bad things could happen but you know they're, they're trying to use logic and reason then you've got the sith who are like highly emotional and fight using anger and then you have the force which both the jedi and the sith can use but it uh it affects them in different ways depending on the input do you get where i'm coming from with that analogy um maybe a little bit i think I, i'm not um, i get it i think you've made it more complicated than it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think we should stick to chimps rather than jedi maybe i'm just i'm just a nerd mike what can i say i just i, think I just like, like this stuff two people uh about to have a fight and <laughs> whichever one uses the better weapons which is which has got the best and and the memories of weapons so if uh, you whoever build... reaches for the brick first. Yeah, whoever reaches for the brick first wins. Uh, but I feel like something like that, but I don't know. Yeah, I think I think maybe maybe you'd have to be more of a Star Wars fan to. Um, yeah, maybe. Star Wars fans would have got it. Uh, there we go. Good analogy. I think he's talking yeah. about the brick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should. One one thing we should definitely shouldn't do is uh, give people self self defense advice because, like, <laughs> both of our. Of both of our self-defense analogies have been horrible today. Just like, yeah, pick up a brick and smack someone. Yeah, hit them first. Pick up a big weapon. That's really funny. Yeah, I mean, with regards to the chimp paradox, guys, yes. if if it's 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 mind altering, 
it's thought provoking. It, it changes the way you think. It changes the way you look at situations. It changes the way you react to certain things. And it also helps in your everyday life when, see, I could sell this book, right? But it also <laughs> helps in your everyday life when, when even the way you react to people like your partner or wh- whether you're reacting to your children or whether you're reacting to situations at work where people piss you off or where, where you want to try and say something, or you want to get something across. I feel out of all the books we've read so far, maybe, maybe, I think this is my favorite. I think this is this is this has changed the way I think a lot more, even than Atomic Habits, and 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 even than th- Think and Grow Rich is from a business perspective is brilliant. But I think for me personally, as 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 an internal transformation after reading the book, I feel like I get a better uh, internal transformation from the Chimp Paradox. And I think it's because if he'd have put a picture of a brain on the cover and it had give you the limbic and the other bullshit names of the brain that, that make no sense to anyone who's not a fucking PhD, right? Yeah. Um, if he'd have done that, nobody would have ever read the book except for the people that are doing that are studying psychology. And, and they wouldn't have needed used, it. Yeah, because he's used something we kind of understand and we get. I think I think it's genius. I think it's really, really clever. I, I would recommend it to absolutely anybody who wants to improve their their thought process and the way of thinking and their relationships with not just with their immediate people with everybody uh, actually it's great it's a, it's a brilliant yeah. book yeah i think it it um changed obviously changed my perspective on things um and you look at yourself and you're like yeah i can see the chimp now it's doing what what it wants and what it's yeah. doing but also the, the another really important part of the book but is that you see it in other people too and I think it helps you being, like you said about relationships, being less judgmental, like having more patience with your with your partner or your children or your friends, just loved ones in general or anyone really, is just to know, I'm not going to talk to them right now because I'd be talking to a chimp and that would be just a waste of my time. Um, and uh, you know when you should talk to people, when you shouldn't, stuff like that is, is really, um, yeah, really yeah. good. Changed my perspective. And um yeah, it's got me saying the word chimp all the time as well, which is... Yeah, I'm not going to join you with that, I'm afraid. I think it's, uh, I'm going to avoid your office for a few weeks till you move on to the next book. Because <laughs> every time you walk past Callum, he's like, that's your chimp. That's your chimp, mate. That's your chimp talking. I, funnily, before I even read this book, actually, my friend and I um, had the... For some reason, we started calling... When people would like freak out and lose control, we would just call it chimping out. Like they they're just I guess it was from like the monkey like monkey brain and lizard brain and stuff like that. We just for some reason started calling like when people lost control, we'd be like, Oh, they're chimping out or I'm chimping out right now. It was like an actual phrase that we used all the time. So maybe that's why it's not so weird for me, because I've been chimping out for years. <laughs> um, right so guys uh we've both get this i i think if you've not read it already we, we obviously we want people to read the books come on and join in and eventually you'll get the process of that we're doing this selfishly what we're doing is very very selfish what me and callum are, are both very very we love to learn we love to figure shit out we love to improve our ourselves per, per personally with our education and everything else so this this podcast is is for us and we hope that people join and, and like it but you know if if nobody ever watches it doesn't even matter because the amount we're getting from it. And when we discuss it like this, it, in this format, I feel like I understand it even better after we leave um, than we did before. Now, next week, um, we have, I mean, th- th- I'll tell you this book, right? I-, I got in from work last night at half past 10, right? Because I was on a webinar or something. Yeah, webinar. Um, I was on a webinar at half past 10 last night. I get into the house. 
everyone in the house was asleep. The kids, my missus, everybody was asleep. And it's like, well, the house was in darkness. So I thought, I can't sleep because I've just got off a webinar. I'm still, like, so I, I thought we're doing this one next week. So I picked the book up and I start reading it. Um, and I read it on a Kindle. So it tells me how much I've read. And I've read 40% of this book before going to sleep last night. I feel the one we're going to do next week, um, for me, is is it's brilliant. Anyway, I'll shut up and I'll let you tell us what it is we're going to go on, what we're going to be doing next week. And um, over to you. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, the book we're going to look at next week is Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Very excited about this book. I'm, I'm a fan of Ryan Holiday's um, and his, like, the... The Daily Stoic is probably the most famous thing he's done. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of his philosophy. I'm a big fan of um, sort of Greek and Roman philosophy in general. I think it's super interesting. I'm a history nerd. So that kind of stuff, very exciting. And uh, yeah, I've been pretty much all week, it's been sat on my desk at work. And I've been like, oh, I just want to read this book so bad. Like, screw the chimp. I just want to read the book. <laughs> so yeah, I'm really happy that it's... Uh, uh, when I, I just put the it. link to it if anyone wants to read along and do it with us i put the link in the chat guys yeah, yeah when you when you sent me this book and said right we're doing this one next i was like i was dead excited because i mean i mean i don't want to move on to it already although i probably could but um ego does fuck things up for people done it to a massive yeah. massive extent like i know some super super talented people who have never reached their potential because of their ego because they believe they're they're above it, they believe they're better than it. They won't admit to things like today. We've been talking about me having a fucking drink problem. Like most people won't admit to that shit because their ego won't allow it. Most people who had 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 a, had a really poor upbringing and, and had been around smoking drugs and all that would just keep it a secret because it's like, nah, my ego won't allow it. I'm going to be. Um, that, anyway, let's do it next week. I'm that excited about this okay. one. I read forty percent of it last night. I'll probably read this book a couple of times before next week. I hope you guys watching join us because um, yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah. You get one mind, you get one lot of knowledge to, to, and, and the, the more you can, the more you can feed it, the more you can grow it, the more you can, the, you, the better your life's going to be, the more you're going to understand all the situations that you're going to get into by, by utilizing other people's experiences. And that's kind of what exactly. we're, we're doing on the wider bait. Yeah. So knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. We will see you next week. Thank you right, very much. See, see you later. Bye. 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 Bye.